0: Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amafidon. Thanks for tuning in. On Saturday, residents of Jamaica Plain came together to ring in the spring season at the annual Wake Up the Earth Festival. Birds weren't the only thing flying high last Saturday at the Wake Up the Earth Festival. Sunshine, positive vibes, and creativity spilled over in JP's Southwest corridor as residents from all over the city plugged into the energy of the festival. Hosted by spontaneous celebrations, now in its 45th year, Wake Up the Earth is a quintessential JP experience.
1: It's been amazing to watch this evolve over the years, and, and it's for me, it's uh, it's like the uh, rock bottom foundation of the sense of community of JP. It's it, for it's so much a part of uh, what JP is about, and. I get it. It's an opportunity to run into people that I don't see any other time of the year and then also bump into people that I've never seen. Uh, People come from all over for this and for all different reasons. And I think that's the beauty of it is that we all have such varied perspectives on what it means to us.
0: Neighbors reconnected. Friends got closer. And families enjoyed being outside, which offered plenty of fun activities, vendors, and foods.
1: As I walk through the Wake Up Theater Festival, I feel safe. I feel a sense of community. I've done about 10 different arts and crafts sessions. My family is here and we played games and made a lot of new friends. Um, I'm enjoying myself and I feel like the spring summer is off to a great start and it's welcomed in by today, which makes you feel happy and full of joy and ready for what's next.
0: And if that wasn't enough, the sounds of big band from the Walking Parade got everyone moving and grooving. This parade is really special because it is uh, a parade that encourages diversity, and everybody comes out uh, in and celebrate uh, that inclusion and uh, and and people can be who they are. Originally rooted in community activism, Wake Up the Earth Festival continues the tradition of bringing attention to the pressing issues of the day and it reminds us we have the power to make the change. Our educators have been through tough times during the pandemic, but their perseverance was acknowledged and cherished on Teacher Appreciation Day in Chinatown. Nothing says appreciation like Dunkin' Donuts and coffee. And there was plenty to go around at Josiah Upper School for Teacher Appreciation Week on Tuesday. Massachusetts Secretary of Education Patrick Tutwiler and Superintendent Mary Skipper spent the morning in the Chinatown School, thanking educators for their service, taking on one of the most challenging and crucial jobs in our society.
1: I think teaching is probably one of the most important jobs that we have. Um, They they really help our students to believe in themselves, to to see um, what's possible, to hope, um, by sharing themselves, um, their experience, their journey as to what and why they became a teacher. Um, so what I see is just uh, they inspire a love for joy, for learning, You know, they, they uh, build relationships with our students, which has been so important, especially post pandemic. Um, they get to know the families. And so they really become the center of the student's universe while they're in school.
2: We're here to express our deep thanks uh, to te- teachers For all that they do with and for students and their families, Uh, it is an incredibly important job. When you think about what it is they actually do, they teach reading, writing, arithmetic, yes, but they create the conditions for young people to realize their dreams. That's just so important, and we're here just to say thank you for their hard work and for sticking with it.
0: According to U.S. Safe Facts, there are 3.7 million teachers in the U.S., and the average educator works four hundred hours of overtime each year. For individuals who give so much, it's more than a job. It's a calling to shape and inspire the next generation. What I always tell my student is that education is knowledge and knowledge is power, and that's really important because even when I was a student, I was not a really good student until I had teachers that Help me understand the power that I have and that's why I want my students now to understand that they also have power and
1: they have power in their learning and that they're going to be our future leaders.
0: It's a demanding role which asks teachers to wear many hats and dutifully they've become part of the village that grows our children.
2: These days it's extraordinarily challenging for our families and in the cities and elsewhere where there are tremendous stresses uh, due to the economy and so on and teachers in the schools are really filling in the gaps when children come and they're just uh, social emotionally stressed it's uh, teachers who are uh, providing the supports uh, for our children beyond their academic learning but the schools uh, our teachers are uh, supporting the kids and their emotional health and to sustain what they need in order to thrive as, uh, as good citizens, you know, become good citizens of our society.
0: Luckily, the effort of our teachers is not lost on those they work so hard for.
1: I think teachers work so hard to the point like they want to help students get better and educated. And the thing is like, I think like some teachers really care about students because they teach from the heart and not from the book. So that, that's why I think teachers are great because they reach you to the point like they want you to get better.
0: City Life Vita Urbana continues to be on the front lines of the battle for rent control. And on Friday, they put their foot down and called for savage properties to take accountability. Hey, hey! Oh ho! Housing right is a human right! No-fault evictions have quickly spread throughout Boston's neighborhoods and beyond. On Friday, City Life Vita Urbana once again led a powerful anti-eviction protest against the unrightful eviction of Amanda and Christine Walliver. The last remaining tenants fighting a no-fault eviction at 22 to 26 Bradley Road in Medford.
1: This shows why we really need rent control. If we had rent control, these evictions, these no-fault evictions would not be happening. There were also a few,
0: Tenants who, were, who had leases who were displaced by large rent increases a year ago. And they also wouldn't have been displaced if we had rent control. Protesters are rallying against savage properties and their continued disregard of tenants by raising rent prices to unreasonable standards and unapologetically evicting loyal tenants to renovate the building as luxury apartments. All while raising prices 80 to 100 percent more than current rates. They don't know if you have a family or how you're living or where you will go if they evict you. It's not their concern. And that is really, really bad. City Life Vita Urbana has taken steps to protect not only the tenants of Bradley Road, but tenants statewide. They've collaborated with Homes for All Mass to propose HD 3953, an act enabling cities and towns to stabilize rents. The legislation would lift the ban on rent control and offer a 5% cap option for cities and towns. Being a tenant facing eviction, it's really opened our eyes to the problem that's really multiplying in the, um, Medford and the surrounding areas. Um, and we really need rent control because the landlords really just don't understand how they're affecting the tenants they're displacing. Um, and they, they're they not thinking of the effects they're having with just evicting tenants from homes and not negotiating with them to stay where they where they live. Over 600 community members have signed the Bradley Road Tenants petition, calling on Savage Properties to negotiate. Protesters even wrote postcards to the owners of the property management company, Brookline residents, Jason and Melanie Savage, asking them to consider other options. You don't know what you're gonna do. You don't know where you're gonna go. And it's just so unfair for a, a landlord to put these tenants and tenants in general through this horrific stress. When you rent to somebody, this is their home. This is where they live. You need to be in a position to make sure that the tenants are satisfied, that they're living in decent conditions, that worst case scenario you have to sell, then you need to make sure your tenants are taken care of. City Life Vida Urbana continues to cry for affordable housing and their mantra, derecho a un techo, right to rent, should be possible for all. The housing crisis in Massachusetts has many facets, one of them being public eviction records. This poses huge barriers for those trying to find housing, especially those who've been affected by no-fault evictions. The Homes Act has been proposed by state leaders who have had enough of the biased system that continues to deny housing to low-income residents. State leaders Andrea Joy Campbell and Lydia Edwards stood up for affordable housing legislation at a state house hearing regarding the Housing Opportunity and Mobility Through Eviction Ceiling, or Homes Act. This act would prevent landlords from accessing eviction records when a judgment or agreement is satisfied within 14 days, and fault evictions where they are over seven years old and there has been no subsequent fault eviction case against a tenant.
1: Before the pandemic, there were about 1 million eviction records in Massachusetts. Annually, there are about 40,000 filed. And a lot of them are folks who are no no fault or they've agreed. Um, I think we should be giving them a second chance. The Homes Act offers a critical solution to the enduring impact of eviction for Massachusetts residents, especially women of color, and will help expand access to stable housing and economic mobility for everyone. An eviction record, even one that has been dismissed or brought in retaliation for a tenant asserting her rights, is a barrier to safe and stable housing that can have a long-term and devastating impact on the family.
0: Sealing eviction records can make all the difference to vulnerable populations in need of a home.
1: By sealing the eviction record, the legislature will, will give, a, give a hand to those who are most in need like young mothers with children who are desperately trying to stay out of homeless shelters and returning citizens who need a pathway to success.
0: Boston's homelessness crisis is a result of many unstable structures of our state, but there's no denying the widespread issue can be linked to evictions.
2: When you look at the challenges that individuals, renters in particular, with evictions of any kind in the Consumer Report are seeing, um, their application is almost universally denied. In the Commonwealth's already tight housing market, application denial leaves individuals with few, if any, options to secure housing. And this is, in my opinion, one of the leading causes of homelessness and will continue to be in our state. As the housing crisis continues to deepen, we need to promote access to affordable housing options as much as possible. By passing the Homes Act, thousands of renters across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts would have another barrier to access removed and be provided with a second chance.
0: The legislation is expected to continue on to the Joint Committee Executive Session, where committee members will vote on next steps. This may include edits to the bill or rewriting the bill altogether. Yet anti-eviction advocates remain persistent. For a more in-depth look at the Homes Act, Senator Lydia Edwards joined us in studio. Senator Edwards is a career advocate, activist, and voice on behalf of society's most vulnerable. Prior to being elected to the State Senate and Boston City Council, Lydia worked extensively in the legal field. See how the passing of this bill will be a game changer for those in need of a second chance. Senator Edwards. It's a real privilege to have you here in the studio. Thank you for making the time. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really
1: appreciate the opportunity.
0: Right now when we talk about evictions on a tenant's record, especially no-fault evictions, it's essentially a big scarlet E that follows them around. Can you talk about the damage this can have on an individual beyond not being able to secure a place to live?
1: Well, there's the initial fact that these records are permanent and public and so no matter if you won the case or if it wasn't your fault it's no fault eviction your landlord just choose, chose not to uh, renew your lease or they sold the building you are forever the tenant the defendant who has an eviction record the, upon filing and so other landlords when they're looking at looking you up could judge you immediately again no fault uh, you You could have this on your credit. You could could be confused for somebody else. Mm -hmm. There's all of these different ways in which people have had to carry a burden from a no-fault eviction. And then there are the points, those evictions, where you you did not have the money. It was a non-payment eviction. And no matter if you ended up paying it, no matter if you ended up um, resolving the matter and had it dismissed, I'm forever Lydia Edwards, the tenant that didn't pay. Mm -hmm. And it's not. True. it's not fair because it's not true i'm not that person or that moment in my life for the rest of my life
0: people definitely change and they deserve to be yeah. seen in that new light how is eviction ceiling a racial justice issue
1: well um you can go to any housing court right now and you're going to find a disproportionate amount of the people there are women And you're gonna find, uh, when you look at the records, that black women in the Commonwealth, so Massachusetts, this has been studied, are two and a half times more likely to be uh, evicted. That does not mean they're two and a half times more likely to be a non-paying tenant or a bad tenant. It's just that tenants, when equally placed with the equal accusations, black women are more likely to get an eviction judgment versus the softer landing. And when you have the judgment and the eviction it impacts your credit. It impacts your ability to find housing. And we're disproportionately impacting black women in that sense.
0: And what specific protections will passing the Homes Act guarantee? Well, essentially, it allows people
1: to petition. The good thing is, this commonwealth has led in quarry reform, and that's criminal records reform, where we allow people to seal their felony records and their misdemeanor records. So all we're saying is, let's be consistent. Mm-hmm. If we can look beyond a moment in someone else's life, a felony, then we should look beyond a moment where someone didn't pay um, rent and may have got evicted. Now, um, they have to make their case. The court then can ultimately, on paper, seal the record. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is the third time that the HOMES Act is actually up for consideration mm-hmm. after first being introduced by former Senator Joe uh, Boncourt in 2021. What changes have been made to that bill uh, since that time? And what is it going to take for it to be successfully passed? Yeah, I want to first thank my predecessor. He is my
1: predecessor, Joe Bancore. And he is a dear friend. And I was a city council at the time. And we he was so Wonderful and taking the the idea and really crafting it and making it something and really owning it and I really appreciate his his Collaboration and also leader Moran from day one has been a huge supporter of this He has carried the bill in the house and is still carrying it to today So there have been obvious changes. We initially had automatic sealing and today we're having different gradations of ceiling. Hmm. so for non for no fault We believe a person, once the matter is done, appeals are all set, the person can turn around at any time and petition to seal their record because it wasn't their fault. But someone who didn't pay, um, they will have to wait four years, um, proof of financial hardship, and they can seal their record. And they petition the court, and this is one of the changes. Along with the the non-fault, no-fault, having any time, then the four years what is a new change is that the landlord will be notified that you're trying to petition or trying to seal your record and if they don't respond that they don't respond but they will be notified if they do have a response to that um, then the ultimate the longest one was for those who were evicted for who are at fault and it could have involved property damage or some sort of criminal activity those individu- individuals will have to wait seven years that's not totally inconsistent if you think about it with bankruptcy laws and other ways in which we've been able to clear credit. It is certainly longer than I would, I would have wanted. It's twice as long uh, than I initially proposed. I wanted automatic and then I wanted uh, three years. Um, but that took, it's called compromise. It's what I've learned as a senator. It requires you to be welcoming to other perspectives and to build a table where now you have tenant advocates and you have the Greater Boston Real Estate Board, one of the biggest opponents of the of the Homes Act, is now sitting in public testifying in support of it. Wow. Um, along with stealing the record, we also helped to remove that record from your credit. So that is helping you hopefully buy a house. I've had real estate agents tell me they support this because they've had wonderful first-time home bu- buyers get rejected because they had an eviction on their um, on their credit record. And they want an opportunity to be able to fix the credit all the way so that they can help this person become a homeowner. This is, to me, a reparative law of forgiving and understanding everyone needs a second chance, but for the grace of God go all of us. We've been through a recession. I lost my job in the recession in 2008, and we've been through a pandemic. Oftentimes, you are put in a position where you were either told not to work or there was no work. And all we're saying is, if that's the reason why, you should be able to make your case and move on from that moment. It shouldn't be public for the rest of the world to see and judge you for the rest of your life.
0: I definitely agree, uh, this Homes Act has the power to, to change lives. Mm-hmm. So we're going to uh, be watching very closely as it uh, continues its way forward, but Senator Lydia Edwards, Chair of the Joint Committee on Housing, 3rd Suffolk District, thank you so much for being here and shedding some more light on the work that you're doing on this.
1: Thank you very much. And for additional information for those who want to read more about the bill, uh, you
0: can go to PassTheHomesAct.org. Roxbury Community College is closing out the three-day homecoming celebration of its 50th anniversary with a good old-fashioned community block party. On Saturday, May 13th from 12 to 9 p.m., everyone is welcome to the party, which features a step show, drumline performance, a film screening, and a night of hip-hop with live performances, including Roxbury legend Ed O.G. To learn more and register, rcchomecoming.sked.com. Blue Cross Blue Shield is recognizing Mental Health Awareness Month and National Bike Month by sponsoring no-cost bikes every Sunday. Riders will receive a complimentary Blue Bikes Adventure Pass to share with a friend, and the top 10 riders who log in the most miles in May will receive annual memberships, that's right, courtesy of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. Ceremony of the Steps, presented by MassArt Art Art Museum, a performance piece by artist Jace Clayton, highlights two ways in which people join voices and come together, in celebration and in protest. On Thursday, May 18th from 7 to 8 p.m., the Boston Choral Ensemble, under direction of Dr. Catherine Chan, will perform a selection of their regular standards, as well as a new arrangement composed by Clayton in partnership with the chorus. The performance is open to the public for all to enjoy more at ma'am.massart.edu peter van heerden is a south african born and connecticut-based multi-hyphenate artist who serves as executive director of the quick center for the arts at fairfield university bnn headed over to arts emerson to chat with him about his performance in the honda opening wednesday may 17th here's our conversation It's always a great day when I get to be in the theater, so I am especially thrilled to be here at Emerson Paramount Center, and I get to join the wonderful Peter Van de Heerden, uh, who is artist, director, producer, educator, he does it all, um, but he's also a performer with Nahanda. Peter it's such a pleasure to get to join you here today
2: Thank, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here.
0: I want to just jump into this show. What is it about Nahanda that uh, that spoke to you how does it how is it different from all of the other projects that you've done in your career
2: you know I think it's different from different from the other projects in that it's real sort of it's a real spiritual journey sort of for us as a cast and for us as members of the of Nahanda making the work and I think for our audience as well. And I think, you know, it's a it's an opera like no other opera I've ever seen sure. or encountered or experienced. And I think, you know, Nora Shapamira is is one of the greatest artists walking the earth at this moment in time. And I think being a part of that whole experience and those pieces all coming together in five and a half hours in this opera with 16 other performers from around the world has has been a, you know, truly liberating, powerful, empowering experience. Mm.
0: And what does the spirit of Nahanda mean to you?
2: I think the spirit of Nahanda is like, you know, never give up the fight. You know, there's still work to be done. There's still, you know, every day we have to pick up arms and we can't lie down and, you know, we can never surrender. We have to keep on fighting and keep on doing what needs to be done to make the world, us people, a better place for now and for future generations.
0: Mm. And the spirit of Nihanda, uh, it's a centuries-old legend. Why is it important to still tell this legend today?
2: You know, I think with any legend, you know, like storytelling is is something of, you know, an African tradition. It's a a Native American tradition. There's lots of cultures that have a tradition of storytelling. And I think if we let stories die, that's a that's a, what do we talk about at the dinner table. You know what the food tastes like. I think it's much more important to continue to talk about those stories and you know stories that our the generations have told us, and we would want to tell our generations. So I think stories like around the spirit of Nahanda, they're important stories to be told in this present moment. And I think a lot of those stories that are fables and stories and spiritual stories that are told still resonate as strongly as they did today, as they did then, and hopefully will in future generations. So I think we can't let them go, and they need to be brought into the present moment and re-looked at and re-digested and reinterpreted and, you know, brought into the current political social matrix that we struggle with every day.
0: Uh, and you already mentioned Nora Chipamura, who is one of the, um, the visionaries behind this piece. What was it like getting to collaborate with her on this?
2: I mean, it's been an honor and a privilege, you know. I saw Nora do a, an extract of a work of hers seven years ago in New York City in some small little venue. I turned to my colleague who I was with and I said, Everybody needs to see this woman and the work she is making. Mm-hmm. Um and since then we've worked I've worked with her, I've presented her work, I've made her a senior fellow at the Quick Center at Fairfield University. So she's been with us working her works, so I've given her space, she's done residency work, I've ho- hopefully I've helped her bring her vision to life. And we talk about the idea that I think she's at the she's at the tip of the arrow, tip of the spear, you know, and you throw that spear anywhere in any, any direction, and it's gonna stick in the ground, you know, it's not gonna flail or fall to the ground. And um, I think she's a phenomenal artist with a phenomenal vision and is doing work that is vital to a contemporary narrative. You know, it's not it's not a play, it's not like it's not not to knock Shakespeare, but it's not Shakespeare. There's no one acting. This is real work that is trying to manifest change and is working with the spirit of us and place and individuals and community to really harness the wind and harness the powers of the earth to say, like, what are we doing?
0: What are we doing indeed? And, um, Thinking of the music there, it's an opera, it's a libretto. Um, there's incredible instruments and music, um, things that we wouldn't normally put together. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the experience of creating the sounds of Nahanda and how it speaks to the anti-colonial resistance element of the show?
2: That's a, that's a, ver- that's a very good question. Nora would love to answer that if she was here. And she'd probably do a much better job than I'm going to do. Um, I think, look, I think... Especially in, in in African culture, you know, and in, in indigenous cultures, music is a rites of passage. Music is a sort of spiritual connection to the to our ancestors, to the past, to you know uh, manifesting change. Be it you know through sound or through sonic you know explosion. You know, like, you know, there's rituals. There's all those kind of things where music and sound is used to change the structure of what the current moment might be. You know, through religious ceremony, through 24 hours of dancing and making music, Um, and so I think the music that's brought to Nahanda, a lot of the music is traditional, like they play the hosho, which are, you know, the gourds, the shakers, they play the imbira, which is the finger instrument, they play, I'm not butcher the name, but the kudu horn, you know, so there's all the traditional instruments that someone doesn't pick up or learn at school, that's taught generation by generation by generation, and there are imbira players who the music is in their body first and foremost, and then comes out of their body into the instrument. You know what I mean? They're not like, and then that Embira teacher, that, that person teaches the other person how to play Embira in a way that's not like, it's, it's, it's something that's inherently in the body and works its way like that from the past into the future, and into the present. So when those musicalities are put together in the Honda, in this sort of contemporary narrative telling of the story with a libretto that's been written with song and music and dance. It becomes this kind of embodiment of of something else where, you know, I've said it a number of times today to different people. you could close your eyes and listen to Nihanda and be blown away. You could close your, you know, close your ears and watch Nahanda and be blown away. You could close your eyes and ears and you could smell Nihanda and be blown away. You can let all of that go and you could feel Nahanda and be blown away. And and that's all of those elements together transgress theater, the fourth wall, what the construction of this thing is. You know, it's an opera like nothing I've experienced before. And I think the audience has that manifestation of like, you know, something happens. I don't know what it is, but it's power.
0: I love that. Complete engagement of all the senses, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And what do you hope that audiences uh, take away from Nahanda?
2: You know, again, art is very subjective. So I I can't answer what audiences take away, but I think, you know, especially what they're going to see here at Arts Emerson is this rally cry like no peace no justice no justice no peace what do you want to do what are you going to do what what do we need to do like you know it's that the revolution is not over you know yeah. we are not in the wind we're not waiting for somebody else to do something we have to fight we have to get up and make things better and charge on and represent and speak truth and speak power to the word and to the body and to all the manifestations of from the past that exists in this moment and that will go into the future
0: that's our broadcast for tonight boston thank you for tuning in we want to wish all the mamas and mamas mamas a happy mother's day weekend we wouldn't be here without you for bnn news i'm faith and mathadon i'll see you next friday